Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, October 30th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 3, the last paragraph that begins in 1929. Um, Today's readers are Michelle Kay on the 12 Steps, Irini, I'm sorry, Sarah on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Elaine B., Chelsea, and Anita J. The reference number for yesterday, October 29th, is 6991. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared uh, experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Michelle Kay to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Thank you, Kathy, for your service. This is Michelle Kay, gratefully recovering compulsive overeater in northern New Jersey. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you, Michelle Kay. I will now ask Sarah W. to read the 12 traditions. Thank you for your service, Kathy. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page three, the last paragraph. I will now ask Elaine B. to begin our reading. Press star one, Elaine, to unmute. Thank you, Kathy. Thought I was unmuted. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for your service, Kathy. This is Elaine B. in Massachusetts, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. 
We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud while I started to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning. Golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to caroom around the exclusive course which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. So um, the power of story is just so helpful to get the... um, to get a picture of somebody in their situation so that we can identify in in some way. And um, I do identify in with this. For me, you know, uh, what will it take for me to have people standing on the sidelines applauding for me? What is my, what is that picture that has struck me with awe? That what, who are those people that I want to overtake and, and um you know, power and fame and success. And I had this elusive picture of the perfect, well-dressed woman in the right body shape and size with the proper uh, professional title and air about her of confidence and ease. And um, I I pursued that goal and, um, you know, climbed my way up the corporate ladder, not really worrying whose toes I stepped on to get there actually barely even aware that I was stepping on toes and leaving a a trail of crunched toes behind me because I had to go towards that goal because when I did, I'd be there. When I did, I'd be okay. When I did, you know, my mom would be happy. My dad would be happy. I would be attractive to the perfect man. Prince Charming would come and sweep me off my feet. Um, And that elusive goal was like a mirage. It just kept getting farther and farther away from me. And I needed more and more help to maintain the stresses and the and the facade that I was trying to carry out because, um, you know, I wasn't really being myself. I was just trying to become that role, that that actor, who, that persona that I wanted everybody to see me on the stage, so they could think I would be wonder I'm wonderful, and so that I would think I'm wonderful. And it got to the point before it drove me to the rooms of OA where I was on an intravenous drip of sugar. I'd work and work and work until, um, you know, uh, just pushing my hunger aside. And then when I finally got out of work, I would just stuff myself to make my body be quiet. But all day long, I had hard candy in my mouth. I needed that intravenous drip of sugar that to sweeten up my life, to sweeten up my experience. I was riddled with fear, doubt, and insecurity. And um, so, yeah, you know, maybe I had the tan that looked good. Maybe I was in the arena of uh, a place that inspired awe in me. But inside, I was a mess. I was a wreck. I was not where I was supposed to be. You know, I wanted to be this great thing, and and I wasn't at all. And so I turned to food to cope, and then um, food took over. It just took over. I, I, I was a mess. I really um, was not achieving what I thought all of those things would give me, the title that I worked so hard for, the recognition that, that I would get at moments and it would seem so fleeting. And so what I did was I came um, into the rooms of OA and I began to develop a relationship 
with a higher power greater than myself that has helped me just accept life on life terms. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elaine. Hi, my name is Charles. I eat too much, may I share? Yeah, just one second, Charles. Um, who would like to share after Charles? Okay, go ahead, Charles. Thank you, Kathy, for your continued lovely and beautiful service. I, I appreciate it. My name is Charles. I eat too much. A recovered compulsive overeater from Yonkers, New York. Represent. Um, i just like to drill down on a couple of places here in these two paragraphs. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. And the sex, excuse me, I'm sorry. And the next point, um, I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the world to do. Well, I could sure identify in where it says liquor caught up with me. Um, the facade, the, the self-righteousness, the look at me. My wife always reminds me of that. Um, and I'm and I'm glad and I'm grateful she does. Uh, I'm one of those lights, camera, action type guys. Look at me, look, look. And and um, when we went through this, when I went through these this paragraph, chapter, and paragraph with my sponsor, I put after uh, amuse uh, skepticism. Looks good on the outside, terrible and destroyed on the inside. So this shows me here um, that, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm putting on a front. I'm, I'm, I'm putting on a front for the world and, you know, you know, thank God, right, for, for a transformed mind. Um, all the money in the world um, couldn't help me. Uh, just the, 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 these first 164 pages and everything before um, the first 164 pages, uh transform and save my life. I need to be brainwashed every single day. And just because you don't hear me talking every day, most times I, I, I'm listening because God gave me, my God gave me two ears and one mouth. So, you know, the before life, before program, you know, <laughs> I would believe that God gave me uh, five mouths and one ear. But, you know, the transformation is I need to listen twice as much at least. So, yeah, I, you know, I wanted everybody to see, oh, man, look how good I'm doing. But in the inside, I was destroying myself with sugar. You know, and, uh, you know, my new motto for this year is fan the flame. You know, fan the flame of recovery. Speak recovery. I love when you guys say, you know, I'm a recovered person. Speak, fan the flame. Fan the flame of recovery. You know, don't fan the flame of, I used to fan the flame of Charles. I have arrived, just like it said yesterday. I haven't arrived. I'm just scratching the surface, just like the book says. And, you know, it, it, it's it's progress, not for perfection. And I just, I, I, I tell you, uh, you know, just, just, just knowing that, right, that my God can transform me and use me as a vessel. I ain't supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be getting up 7 o'clock in the morning and, and, and listening to people around the world breaking down a, a big book, paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence. I'm not supposed to be here. Because don't you know I'm supposed to be making videos and you guys are supposed to be downloading my songs and don't you know I'm here, look at me, look at my tan, look how good I look, look how much, 
clothes I got on the outside. Look how, look how good I'm doing. Look at the front I'm putting on. Look at the show I'm putting on. Just look at me. You can't see my heart though. You can't see you can't see the destruction on the inside. And the fat checks don't mean anything. But the fat in my head meant the world. But you know this book. This book is taken down. I hear somebody unmuted. I guess that's my time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up. But uh, before I leave, just know that together we can recover one day at a time. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you, Charles. Uh, who else would like to share? Rakesha? Mm-hmm. And who else? Janine F. Janine F. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Thank you. Rakesha, go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. This is Rakesha, compulsive overeater in California. What strikes me with this paragraph is how delusional Bill is. You know, what makes him think that he can can become a world-class golf player? It's crazy, crazy thinking. And so he doesn't, he's not living in reality. He's living in some delusional world where he's thrashing around, trying to find something that's going to fulfill him, something that's going to work. He wants to succeed so bad. He wants that fame and glory and money, and so he's thrashing around and trying everything and anything. He's just not in a place of being able to think clearly because, of course, he is really deep in his disease. So, um, and also another thing that struck me is perhaps, you know, uh, trying this insane idea of going out to the country and becoming a, a world-class golfer, maybe that's just a reason for him to drink. You know, a lot of times I set myself up to sabotage myself. I set myself up, get myself into situations which I know I know are unhealthy for me or unsuited for me or situations I can't get out of and I'm resentful. And those situations are just an excuse for me to eat because I feel so sorry for myself I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm I'm stuck. So I can so identify with, with this craziness that he's going to go and become a world-class golfer. And it's not something I would do, but I mean, I'm sure it made perfect sense to him at the time. This is what's so interesting to me. I get I, I see people eat. Even when I was in food, I was like that. They, 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 they say things, they come up with things, with ideas that are so insane, but they can't hear it. They can't hear it because they're very deep into the disease and they're delusional. Like I, I believe Bill is here. And thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Rick Hassett. Uh Janine S., please go ahead. Press star one, Janine. Hello, can you hear me? Now I can, yes, thank you. Okay, good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone on the line. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, and I, I read this reading, and the first thing I thought of was being back in college. It was, um, let me see, where is it? Golf permitted drinking all day and all night. Now, I, I don't know if anybody else had the food points when they were in college, but that's dangerous to the compulsive overeater. 
that meant I could go to I could go to the commons, I could go to the student union, I could go to the store, and I could buy whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. And believe me, I did. All hours of the day, I would eat and eat and eat. And it's the feelings that I had when I was in college. On the outside, I was great. I was performing, I had a great voice, I was top of my class, but inside I was just eaten up. It was it was so hard to keep up with the Joneses, to maintain my impeccable coat of tan that one sees upon the well-to-do. I found, or I did find, that food was a comfort, but my weight in college exploded, exploded, and... I had it all laid out in my head before I unmuted, so I apologize. <laughs> I'm remembering back, and, and I remember that feeling of of saying, oh, oh, I've got points on my card. I'm going to go, and I'm going to get XYZ. And just remembering how great it was to be able to hide my feelings behind this food and still be able to succeed. You know, I never got to, you know, the role that I wanted to, but I was still able to kind of swamp my way through college. You know, but the food, the food was horrible. Just remembering back to those feelings of, oh, my goodness, they're going to find me out. I'm not good enough. What am I going to do? So I seem to have lost my train of thought. I do apologize. Um, Thank you very much for letting me share, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Janine F. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Good Larry. Deb, Betty is in Oklahoma. Okay, I heard Larry first, and I'm sorry, I didn't get your name. Betty, is Deb, it? Deb W. Oh, Deb W. Okay, thanks, Deb. And anyone else? Yes, I'd like to share. This is Vasa. Deb, thank uh, you. Okay. Okay, we'll go in that order. Larry, Deb W., and Vasa. Go ahead, Larry. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, Larry... Larry Kay from Chicago, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, you know, he, he talks about here, uh, you know, uh, the type of type of experience he had. And, you know, liquor caught up with him much faster than he came, behind, uh, came up behind Walter Hagen. Walter Hagen was, you know, the, the big golfer at the time. You know, everyone knew about him at that time. And... He talks what I relate to and identify in golf permitted drinking every day and every night. You know, it makes me think um, about the bedevilments and um, the fact that when I was in the throes of this disease, you know, I, the jobs that I, that I had, um, I could not work. I chose not to work a, a typical nine to five, if you will, type of job where I would be going to an office every day. After all, there was no way that I, I knew in my heart because that I couldn't do that because, like it says on page 52, you know, I could replace we with I. You know, I, I was having trouble with my personal relationships. I couldn't control my emotional nature. We were a prey to misery and depression, and we couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness, and we were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. And um, and that's really what I felt. So the job, you know, teaching, I could sort of come in and out, um, 
you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the other work that I did, I could just kind of come in and out. I didn't have to be at a, a particular location only when I, I was to- in total control of my schedule. And, uh, and that served me really well because I knew that I couldn't control my emotional nature much. And I knew that the relationships that I had were, were just so poor. Um, you know, I couldn't be around people. After all, they would see what a fraud I was, you know, that my true self would come out. You know, the mask would come off, as it always did with people that, that really knew me, which was so very few people. You know, and above all else, like he talks about, the alcohol was, was there, you know, on the golf course. And by working that way for me, I could get to my heroin uh, at uh, the local fast food restaurant, you know, the local CVS, Walgreens, whatever, you know, store. I could I could come in and out, and it was just um, I had to have that heroin to get through the day. See, I didn't have a problem with food. It might have appeared so. I had a problem with living. I needed the the heroin to get through the day. You know, someone on the line can relate to that. And so that was my life, and that was the progression. And it was just like with Bill. It was, you know, some time until the disease would bring me down to my knees. It would uh, it would choke me out. You know, I'd be taken down in the quicksand. And, uh, you know, and, and thank God for this program. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. And Deb W., please go ahead. Press star one, Deb, to unmute. Can you hear me now? Now I can. Thank you. Okay. Um, This paragraph reminds me of uh, my thought process. Uh, I'm thinking, I'm listening to him tell a story of what was going on with him um, uh, looking back. And in the story of what was going on, in the paragraph, he's talking about uh, things that remind me of how when I live, I live trying to fix uh, what or go after what I felt like I didn't get enough of, like I, where I felt that I uh, was shorted or, or you know, uh, living out of the lack uh, from when I was younger or going after things that would satisfy uh, not enough in me. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, even today, I think the mindset of, of many of us, I can speak for myself, is it's really hard to live in today. It's hard to be satisfied, to be the age that I am today. Um, I'm always, I remember living um, 10 years in therapy, trying to figure out the whys behind uh, things that happened when I was younger, you know. I remember being married um, and uh, living five years in my marriage, still thinking about that maybe that boyfriend back in high school that I fell so madly in love with and he broke up with me would come and rescue me from this marriage and tell me it's all okay. Never being happy and satisfied and living today. And this is what this uh, program and these steps do. They help me clean up that past. They let me mature and realize and accept life on life's terms and accept myself in my own skin. There's so much uh, that surrounds 
the real Debbie getting to the depths of me, getting to know who I am, that you would know me. I cover it up. I do it instinctively, automatically. You know, I I, I hide behind a lot of things, and food being uh, one of those things, but a whole lot of other things, dreams of what tomorrow will be like, disappointments of what yesterday was. And, you know, I am so glad. One of the speakers before me said, I have had a mind change. I've had a mindset. I've had a spiritual change so that I can live and be present in today for other people and be out of myself, not so absorbed in self and, um, you know, things that I can't change. And I'm just glad to to have shared, and thank you, a pass. Thank you, Deb W. And Vasa, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Vision for you, and I'm Vasa, and I'm a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater calling from Massachusetts. Um, yeah, it. Uh, you know, it. I, I look back. I reflect back on my life. Uh, you know, before I became abstinent, like Bill is reflecting in, you know, about his life. And I know for myself, I didn't know who I was or what I was before I came to program. And before I became my abstinent, I was like the actor on the stage, played all different roles, uh, trying to be this perfect woman, to be um, I, I would do, I was like a puppet. I would do whatever you want me to do to be liked, to be loved, to be accepted. Um, and um, again, it was all facade, facade, you know, from the, if you looked inside of me, I was a mess, but everything that looked from the outside, it was always perfect. My house looked perfect. The yard looked perfect. My kids look perfect, you know, they always dress nice and clean. And, um, I, you know, when I came out of, out of the closet, I remember talking to my brother how insecure I was, how I felt inside. And he said, Father, Father, I would have never, never believed or thought that you felt like that inside, you know. I never felt good enough, smart enough. And I would compare myself with other people, you know. And it was a very, very painful place to be. I'm just so grateful to be where I am today. And, uh, again, I hid also into the food, you know. And um, I remember feeling that pain. And it's a progressive disease for me. You know, I, you know, I could keep up for so long with the facade, but it was catching up with me. And And the more I was trying to keep up with everything else, the more I got into the food, and, uh, you know, it was beginning to show, you know, it was beginning to show my insecurities. And uh, it's like Bill, um, you know, um, you know, he did all those different things. But, you know, with all the drinking and all the food, it, uh, you know, I, you know, I couldn't keep up anymore. And I thank God that God brought me into the program over Eaters Anonymous, and uh, again, for me, putting the food was number one, and uh, and then, you know, again, going through the withdrawals, I was at a meeting last Tuesday, and this person has been abstinent for about a week. We've been working, you know, she's been listening to the vision for you, and she's away, and 
AANOA, and she, finally she's putting the food down. She's going through the withdrawals, and she was sharing last night and how hard it is, how painful it is to put the food down. And then the, another woman, too, she's been after him for two weeks, and, you know, she says, oh, well, I love the Lord. I got God in my life, but I don't know why I'm into the food. I just, no matter what, no matter what, just keep coming, keep coming, and listen, and listen, and God will reveal to us whatever we need to do or to know. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I've been looking for a long time to start coming to this meeting, but I didn't have that hours from 7 to 8. You know, it was I was busy with other things, but I remember listening to the callback number. Thank God for that callback number. I'm just so happy to be here, and I'm so grateful for this meeting and for everybody sharing their own, their own experience and their own stories and their testimonies. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Um, I think we'll move on to the next paragraph now. Uh, Chelsea, would you read it for us, please? Thank you for your service, Kathy. Good morning. This is Chelsea. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Abruptly in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker was still clattered. I was staring at an inch of tape which bore the inscription XYZ32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since then, since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. And I'm still Chelsea, still recovered for today. Thank you, Dee Dee. Okay, so for me, this information, first of all, is a lot of arrogance going on and a whole lot of relying on self and ego. And it looks to me like Bill had been uh, drinking pretty much the, of, the day, of the whole day since he looked at the ticker and saw it was at 52. He said he wobbled from a hotel bar, a hotel bar to the brokerage office, which implies he wasn't at the office. He wobbled out, so he apparently was not as steady as he could have been. He was probably pretty tight then. And then he goes on to um, be disgusted because people are jumping. More arrogance. I'm better than you. I'm better than them. And then the old fierce determination to win came back, even then competitive. So what this looks like for me in my eating career is um, from very early in the morning, long before lunch, leaving the office, going around the corner to the local pub, because my meals included, my beverages were, were alcohol. That was my soda, if you will, with my drinks, with my meals. So I go to the pubs because they serve liquor and great food. I can eat. They'd have the setup for me when I get there. I'd walk in, and they here, here's Chelsea, you know, and I'd get back to the office, and who knows what calamities were going on that I'd have to deal with, but I would match that calamity with food. Under my own power, I had no kind of strength or anything to match it with any kind of serenity, like is my experience now when I rely on source greater than myself, my calamities are matched with serenity. I matched it with food. I ate my way through every calamity. 
and then to the delusions, I would go back that I would start fresh, and I would lick this thing one way or another, or I wouldn't even have to deal with what was going on in the office. I didn't have to worry about that groups of people were being let go because of cutbacks or whatever. I would go drink my way through it. So he gets out of there at 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. He'd been drinking a good while, five hours afterwards. Who knows how long he had been there prior. So that would be my experience, eating and eating, food stuffed in drawers so I could put if any kind of um, restless irritability or discontentment would come up, working on any jobs or anything, and I didn't want to face it, I would eat it. I would eat my way through what was ever going on, reliance on the liquor, reliance on the food, reliance on self, and it was insufficient. It was insufficient, and I would wobble home and eat some more after eating all day and uh, drinking all day and really not even engaged. I was better than that. I didn't need to do that. So I hear again the progression of this disease and all the different delusions and illusions that we have, that we think that we are all this and we're really not. And as was shared earlier, this idea of the facade we put on, that we are one thing, the mask, the many masks we wear, we're one thing, but underneath it all we're shaken, frightened, and feeling very insufficient and inadequate. And so we eat. We rely on king food instead of a power greater than ourself, which my experience now shows is the solution to not driving, not pulling in the drive-through, sticking, jamming my fist in the bags, boxes, or what have you. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for um, letting me share a pass. Thank you, Chelsea. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Monica. Leia. Sarah W. Rabia. I had some, uh, Leia. Monica. Carol G. Monica, let's see, Rabia, Leia, Monica, Sarah. Carol G. Carol G? Yes. Okay. And Gail. Gail from Texas. What is your name? Gail. Gail. Okay, Gail, thank you. So here's the order. Rabia, Leia, Monica, Sarah W., Carol G., and Gail. Okay, Rabia, it's your turn. Um, Hi, am I still unmuted? Yes, you are. Oh, great. Oh, hi. Good morning. This is Rabia, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from New York, and thank you, everyone, for being on the line this morning. And uh, I I love this last sentence, Um, so what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce, fierce determination to win came back. And uh, and this is the story of, of my eating. Um, you know, it would be Sunday night, and uh, so many diets I started Monday morning. So I would be binging Sunday night. I'd have till midnight, and... Um, and and I would be trying to eat everything I had, all my binge foods, because whatever, whatever I didn't finish at midnight, I flushed down the toilet, because tomorrow was going to be a new day and a new week, and, and, and I would start my new diet tomorrow with a new fierce determination. And, you know, it's amazing to me how many Mondays I was able to start a new diet, and um Sometimes they lasted a longer time than others. Sometimes they lasted a few hours um, before 
before I had these beautiful steps of OA and this recovery. And um, and my heart is, I'm just feeling so connected this morning to the people on the line who were here for the first time, the first few days of putting the food down or maybe still in the food, um, people coming back uh like me, over and over again, you know, in OA, in the rooms of OA, picking up the food, not really understanding what it meant to live in steps 10, 11, and 12 and, and be recovered and and have the power of God in my life that was more pow- that is more powerful today than the food. And so, so the gratitude I feel waking up, you know, I woke up today, with no fierce determination whatsoever, I woke up in the presence of my higher power and and um not even thinking about food. What a miracle that is so uh so stay with us and um and get a uh guide, get one of us to help you race through this big book uh, that's why we're studying it to get to the steps as quickly as possible to find your own newfound power in the glorious power of the God of your understanding um, and be free of of this mental, this anguish of waking up in the morning uh, in the food or in the food hangovers. And God bless us all. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Rabia. Leah, please go ahead. Thank you, Cassie K. for your service. Hi, everybody. Leah M. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. There's a lot in this paragraph I certainly uh, relate to. You know, that disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. I mean, that was always my solution. You know, when people come in here and they say, you know what, there's only one solution. You know, it's got to be a relationship with a higher power. And we say yes. You know, why should why should that be so, you know, uh, perplexing that there's one solution. I mean, I always had one solution, and that was to go back to the bar. That was to dig my fists, you know, into bags and boxes. And why did I find it necessary to do that? I mean, I found that necessary because my basic flaw had been this faulty dependence on people, on circumstances. You know, here's Bill. His faulty dependence is on money and accomplishment, uh, you know, that that prideful feeling of having made it, and I had, you know, my own basic flaw of being uh, dependent on on circumstances and situations and relationships for a feeling of security and well-being and happiness and on and on and on. And when I would fail to get those things, like Bill is failing to get those things according to his wishes and his demands and his specifications, and certainly that was my experience, it led me to fight everything and everybody and, and And to have this fierce determination, and I had that fierce determination also, you know, I only saw things from my perspective, I only uh, thought that my perspective was correct and that my emotions and actions were justified and legitimate, and so, you know, I persevered, I was determined to accomplish and achieve because that would give me this feeling of, you know, adequacy, you know, and and this tremendous fear that I had that I wouldn't be adequate, and fear is a great motivator. I mean, the fear of being a quitter kept me going way beyond what I thought I could do. I mean, when someone is chasing you with a gun, it's not the love of running that keeps you ahead 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that was true for me. I mean, I was being chased by this disease. I was being chased to the fear of not living up to what I thought were people's expectations of me. And so I had that fierce determination. And I certainly began, like Bill is, structuring uh, my activities to create more opportunities, you know, for compulsive overeating. You know, I was managing this life in order so that I could, uh, you know, maintain this faulty dependence, you know, on circumstances and situations. You know, thank God for the program of recovery that showed me that this self-centeredness had contributed to my failure at life, that I had created a whole universe centered around me and what I expected out of life, that I was on my own God. And despite years of involvement with psychology and therapy and self-help, I did not see the, the, these defects that we study and read about and speak about every day. I did not see that these old ideas and attitudes of mine were dominating my mind and myself, and I could not be free. And thank God for this program of recovery that offers me the freedom through these steps and, in, and embraces my broken places and transforms me, transforms my personality so that I can plumb the depths of my disturbances and my impediments to my relationship with God and finally break free from these shackles of addiction. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leia. Monica, please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in Bill's story, and of course he's looking back here, and he's written this story for us to see and, and the progression of his disease. And this morning when I heard the person read, I wobbled from a hotel bar, I just had this image uh, flash across my mind here of of Bill, you know, in the paragraph before, he's riding around on a golf course and he's got this impeccable tan, he's looking good and blah, blah, blah. And here in this next paragraph, he's wobbling. I can just picture, you know, you, you see movies of, of drunk people staggering, wobbling down the street, you know? Wow, what a difference from the paragraph before. And then it goes on to say men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. And it's interesting, high finance, he's got in capital letters there. But of course, that was Bill's God, you know, money was his God at the time. And he goes, that disgusted me. I would not jump. But what, you know, they took the quick way out. But what does Bill do? He goes back to the bar. Now, what kind of a solution is that? He goes back to the bar. But that was his solution, just like my solution for everything was always go to the food, go to the food. And he goes, as I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Oh, I can so identify with that, you know. You pick up something, next, you know, you picked up and, and it's like, oh, my God, I blew it. Well, I might as well have a good time here and really and really blow it good and I'll just restart tomorrow. But it'll be okay, you know. Oh, yeah. And the more I, I ate, the more determined I was, it would be different tomorrow. It'd be different tomorrow. I'd be able to handle it tomorrow. We'll just restart tomorrow. And, and that was my story. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Monica. Uh, go ahead, Sarah W., please. 
Thank you, Kathy Kay. Uh, good morning. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'd like to welcome all the newcomers and anybody coming back. Uh, I have been at the gates of death myself, uh, the gates of hell, I would say, uh, in the food addiction. And uh, it takes a lot of courage to walk back in the rooms. Many of us have come back uh, through a relapse and, uh, and really come through the other side with God's help. So do not despair. Um, I too, I was kind of shocked. I remember the first time I read that when when he when he said that um, you know other men were jumping to their deaths, and it disgusted him. And I just thought, wow, how could he be so cold and callous? But then I really thought about you know my behaviors in my life. You know, this guy and myself, the way I can identify in is I was always chasing pleasures too. You know, anything but deal with pain. And yet the reality was that every time I went back to the food or the addictive behavior, I had twice the pain that I had before I started. But it's like I lost that memory of how painful it was so I would keep eating. And, you know, the, the idea of how judging he is of other people, how, how much he lacks compassion for people. And, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, I was raised with, with some money. Uh, my father was a doctor, and, and, you know, I was raised with money. I was raised on Long Island. Uh, we had a beautiful home, um, a nice piece of property. Um, I could have had anything. And I was the rebel. You see, I wasn't the person that was going along with everything. I was the person that was oppositional constantly, testing. You know, that was my misery, you know, and so I never formed any true relationships with people. And so my relationship became with food, you know, that was what I loved and that's what I thought loved me. But it was, you know, it was always to my demise. You know, I never I never tried to kill myself, but in so many ways I was killing myself emotionally and spiritually. Um, you know, my, my top weight was 278. Um, and right now I'm probably about 10 pounds away from goal weight. I'm 5 foot 7 and I, I weigh 167 pounds. And, you know, today I can say it's not all about the weight, and yet the weight does have something to do with it because that's how my disease shows on me, for me. Um, and, and, you know, the thought that comes into my mind is to compare is to despair. I learned that a long time ago, and that's what I was always doing. You know, either someone was better than me or less than me. I could never just look somebody in the eye. And today, that's what I get to do through working the steps. You know, I'm no better than somebody just walking in the room. I'm no less than somebody that's been here 35 years and has has had, you know, perfect or whatever abstinence. You know, we're all in this together and we're all here to help each other. And that's the way I look at it. God bless you all and thank you for letting me share and have a nice day. Thank you, Sarah W. Uh, Carol G., it's your turn. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Um, what a wonderful day it is. Um, I'm Carol G., uh, recovered in, the, uh, in England, and, um, and so now my life's begun. I'd just like to just share that I can hear, when we read Bill's story, um, the disease living through him, living in him, as it's done in me, really, um, I once was living a very full life, um, did an awful lot of things that Bill was doing, except for golf. Um, and 
I was always full of fierce determination to win, but I seemed to lose more and more. It was almost as though every time I was more determined, my life got smaller. Every time I exerted control, I lost more control. And, and for many years, I couldn't really relate to Bill because um, I'd been horizontal uh, for the last 10 years in OA um, and, and time even prior to that because um, running my life to the extreme that I did, my life was very badly burnt by, uh, by the compulsive overeating and I was unable to do a lot of the things that Bill was doing. My life was so tiny and I, sh I, just, I did my day basically in my pyjamas. Um, but since I came to Vision for You, which I'm so grateful for, um, it's unreal, um, I, w I noticed that I was making an awful lot of solitary self-appraisals. A lot of this was going on in my head. There was an awful lot of grandiose dreams in there that were keeping my delusions alive. And in reality, I wasn't doing as much as I ought to. And, and Bill goes on and says, I wouldn't jump. And, and I thought, you know, I wouldn't jump into the big book. I wouldn't jump into the work. I just wanted to keep my toe on something familiar. I didn't want to leap forward and do anything like that. And, and it really, for me, had to feel like leaping into the work because it was only by dropping my fierce determination to win that seemed to open up this gateway to freedom. And when that gateway was open, then I reclaimed my life back from the hands of the disease. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Thank you, Vision, for you. And I pass. Thank you, Carol G. And Gail from Texas. Go ahead, please. Hi, this is Gail from Texas, and I want to thank everyone for their service. And I'm a recovering compulsive overeater returning from relapse. And everything that everyone has said is I'm in accordance with, and there's something that I look at a little, maybe a little bit different, which is throughout the big book, Bill is telling us that he, that he went for what he desired. He gathered the skills that were necessary. He was distorted by alcohol. It took, it, it took him. And then when the crash happened, the stock crash happened, he was totally in his disease, and he was watching people jump. But he had, I, I, I can see how it can be looked at as arrogance. I also, and in addition, it looks like this, this person had a skill level that said internal, an internal skill level that said there are obstacles out here. There are things here that I, there's a re reservoir in him that he knows that he can draw on. Now, at that point, the only thing he had was his alcoholism. But that didn't mean that somewhere in his larger self, his spiritual self, that he didn't want to commit suicide because he knew from past experiences that he had the ability to follow through on a dream. And he wanted to get out of his alcoholism. The other thing that's really interesting to me is at the end of the Bill W. story, um, I can't remember his wife's name, but when he met someone who didn't recognize him, she said to him, well, does that make you blue or are you distressed about that? So he always had this thing of wanting to be recognized. And he had, I think, to 
our service, he had a personality that was truly a, le a leadership kind of personality. And that's what a leader does. He just doesn't escape. Well, anyway, I said, I said my piece. That's what I think. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Gail. Okay. Um, it is now time for us to bring the meeting to a close. Um, thank you, everyone, who has shared today. Um, I'm going to ask Anita J. now um, to read a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only on page 164. Thank you, Kathy. Um, this is Anita J. Very grateful for all of your service and shares today. Um, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.